Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Guys, today we are in for a very special treat because I have a very, what do I want to say here? She, I just love her. Like I only met her once, um, a brief introduction and I don't know, we just kind of clicked and you know, her personality is so infectious and I know you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. So today I have Amber Jara on our podcast. Uh, Amber is a pediatric speech language pathologist and feeding therapist. So Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so just like giddy to be here. This is going to be fantastic. It is. We are just going to have a lot of fun. Now, some of you may think like this is a little different than some of the other podcasts that I I do. Um, A lot of them are focused on adults and maybe more so weight management and mindset. And I really want this podcast to be all encompassing when it comes to nutrition. And some of you may struggle with family members that are maybe picky eaters or have trouble with food in some capacity. Um, Some of you may have grandchildren that struggle. And so I really just want to offer you a ton of resources, a ton of support, um, because if one person in your family has feeding issues, it kind of means everybody in the family has to deal with feeding issues. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Amber. Oh, a hundred percent. Feeding issues is a family, a family, um, mountain. Yeah. So Before we jump in and like dive into our topics of discussion, why don't you just let us know a little bit about you and how you came into your practice? Sure. Um, So I have been practicing um, for quite a few years, going on 12 years as a pediatric speech language pathologist. I, a couple years ago, was working at a local hospital and a large population there that we saw were um, these picky eaters, right? They would come in and they just weren't eating many things at all, or maybe there was some traumatic event. And so I went and was trained as a feeding therapist to help support this group of humans who usually were anywhere between, you know, um, some of them, it was like a cleft and they were nine months old and we were just like preparing ourselves. Some of them were three and we're eating three things. Um, And so it kind of started me on this journey of also realizing my own kids who I had been terribly worried about for years due to limited food varieties um, also fell in this category. um, And it actually opened up our house as a space to be able to work on some of this stuff, which uh, was amazing for us because I didn't know how much we actually needed it um, until I started doing it for work. So it worked out. Yeah. Is that how it always works? Right. Like, yeah. like, oh my gosh, I can apply all this to my own life too. Yeah. yeah. And I always tell people that just because I'm a dietitian doesn't mean that I got kids that love all the foods. Yep. You know, <laughs> I am just like you and we have our own struggles and you have a large family, right? You have 
Right. So the more kids you have and the more preferences they have, it just makes putting a meal together so much more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'm hoping we can like jump right in and just let's talk more about that picky eating. And, you know, what are you noticing from the the therapy side of it, speech language pathology, and, and maybe even chime in on exactly what is that, because that might be some words that people aren't familiar with, um, but how feeding ties into your practice. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I um, think a lot of people who think of um, a speech language pathologist, usually it's they work in the schools and they help the kids who can't say their R's. Um, I think that usually is like where we get clumped, but our profession is um, very wide. So um, we, we can start, I was working in the NICU for a while. So we can start even in the NICU working on swallowing and, and breathing, coordinating those two things together. That is actually a part of our profession. We're kind of like lungs up. (laughs) It's a good way. So um, as we're there, um, we've got this, these two groups of kids really um, that we would that we would see. So usually they were referred for just trouble eating, but they really fell into two groups. We had this picky eaters and then this problem feeders, and they're actually quite different. Um, And I wanna make sure that everybody sees those differences because if you actually do have a problem feeder, that would be a family that I would refer to go to see a feeding specialist. Um, occupational therapy and physical therapy, or I'm um, sorry, speech language pathology, both do feeding therapy. So you could go to either. Um, it wouldn't matter, but a lot of times a traumatic event, if it's a choking or um, kids who are in the NICU are at risk of having struggles later on, just because they have so much trauma from, from NG tubes, or if they were, they had to have um, uh, a trach put in, they'll just have some sensory, maybe um, aversions as they get older that we wanna be mindful of. So it could be something like that. That would be a reason I would refer you. Um, Sometimes it's actually skill. There is a skill that's missing, whether it's being able, it's so dynamic. I could like Google, like uh, drool about this all day. It makes me so excited, but it might be a school, a skill of like moving food to the side of your mouth so that your teeth can chew it. Like your tongue actually needs to be able to do those, those things. Um, it needs to be able to control that food ball so that it's not everywhere all over your mouth and it feels chaotic in there. So sometimes it is a skill issue that we're missing. And some of those things, if you're eating less than 20 foods, if there's a lot of vomiting, choking, coughing, um, if there's a weight loss in our kids due to limited food intake, Um, If they've had a couple episodes of of nasal reflux, that would be another thing that I'd be like, oh, we probably should maybe go see somebody for that. Um, The other thing, uh, transitions are a big um, indicator for us. So moving off of purees by 10 months, starting to, um, and not purely off of purees, but starting to kind of, you know, dabble into some other foods being able to tolerate table food by 12 months, uh, moving off of a bottle or um, weaning onto a, uh, weaning off of a bottle and doing cups by 16 months. Those kinds of things, if we've got a two-year-old who's still using a bottle, usually to me, it's a bigger red flag. I'm like, oh, maybe we wanna go get this 
looked at. So those kids are not necessarily who I'm speaking into. Those kids, I would want to go see somebody. Today, it really is about the kids who there's nothing else really going on, but they're just picky. They don't have a huge variety in what they're eating. There's lots of meltdowns. There's lots of no's. Um, sometimes what also happens is they tend to have um, one kind of chicken nugget that they like, or they used to eat spaghetti with sauce, but then they kind of were like, no, I don't like the sauce. So we make it different. And, and what happens is we start to whittle down to make what they like. And at once it was like a whole sandwich and then it was without the crust and then it had to be in a star shape. And now it's just jelly. And we just get into this space where, oh my gosh, now she'll only eat this type of bread in the shape of a star with grape jelly, you know, and we get into this place. It's so defeating and frustrating for everybody. And we eat a lot. We, you know, we eat five times a day. We eat three meals and a couple snacks and it can be exhausting when you're always thinking about the next thing. What, what can I make? What can I do? And for the tiny human or the adults being like, oh my gosh, what am I going to have to eat? What are they going to put in front of me? It's just exhausting for everybody. So those are, that's kind of the, the group I'm speaking into. Yeah. You brought up so many great points and I'm just even thinking of my own life, you know, when, as, or even growing up, like my mom didn't make anything my dad didn't like. She didn't yeah. make anything she didn't like. And so there for many years, we rotated three vegetables <laughs> and they were like canned corn, canned peas, or canned green beans. It's like, what do you want for dinner tonight? Well, what did we have last night? Corn. Okay. So do you want green beans or peas? Those are our options. It's a wonder. I learned to eat any other vegetables um, past those three, but it's like, just like you said, it doesn't start out intentional. It's just mealtime can be stressful and we're exhausted. And so we just want there to be the least amount of fighting and resistance as possible, yep. right? Because it just, they feel, it, as a parent, it feels like they're very ungrateful and you're doing all this work. And so you just give in because it's just one less fight, but actually it's contributing to a much bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. Once you do, and I think we've all fallen in there, you know, it's, it's been a hard couple of years and you're like, I just need something to not be hard. So we're going to eat chicken nuggets and French fries for, you know, until you decide you want to eat something else. And it's just easy. It's one last battle. Absolutely. Absolutely. It can, it can go on for a little bit too long. So what are some of your tips, you know, for these picky eaters that are just not intentionally making our life more challenging, but how can we help them move past it? Absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a little weird corner because I also, also want to include the big humans who are like, oh, this is, this is kind of me too. Everything that I speak into for the tiny humans, like, I hope that big humans here, like, oh, I could do this too for myself. Um, and I'll explain a little bit. Um, I, so I have a history of, um, an eating disorder when I was young, a pretty, a pretty severe one. And so once I kind of got through that, you know, I'm still in college and I'm eating college food. And then I get married 
to a husband who um, works in the dorms. So we live in the dorms and a part of that perk package is dorm food. So we just go and I still eat the dorms. And then we have a couple of kids and we're still in the dorms and I'm still eating dorm food. And so I, at the age of like 35, was still eating college food, you know, hamburgers, French fries, you know, just college dorm food. So when he got a new job and we moved out, I now have to make food for my family. I just had my fourth kid and my brother was living with us. So now I have to make food for a whole family and I can't touch meat, (laughs) like physically gagging when I have to touch meat. And I'm like, how am I going to make food for these people? Right. How we act, we have to eat more than French fries and chicken nuggets every night. Like, right. So coming from a space where I had to be this person, um, I want to share into that as well, where there is a way to get out of that and, and, and do new things. Okay. So I just had to preface, like, if you hear these things as a big human, be like, Oh, I could do this at home. Right. I want to actually just stop you real briefly there because you bring up an excellent point because I can't tell you how many times I work with adults Mm -hmm. that, you know, have taken some of that picky eating as a child and are continuing to be picky eaters. And it's always such a challenge because it's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. So I like these five foods and figure out how to manipulate them and make them healthy. um, But you don't get any more. And yeah. so I'm always like, okay, all right, what are different ways we can prepare it? And how can we eventually branch out? But you're right. Like some kids grow out of it, but some don't. And a lot of us don't actually, you have to be so purposeful about it. And cool fun fact, this is one of the coolest things I ever learned as a tiny human, you have taste buds all over your entire mouth. And so when you have a little kid who is like, no, that's gross. Or no, I don't like that. Or wow, that's really spicy. And you as an adult are like, no, it's not. It's because you've lost so many taste buds, which is why as you grow, you're like, oh, I didn't like that thing five years ago, but now it's okay. It's because you're losing taste buds. So you can tolerate, you can tolerate different tastes. I did not know that. Yeah. (laughs) Something I learned along the way. And I was like, that is fascinating and makes a ton of sense. So you know, just because you didn't like it then definitely doesn't mean you won't like it now. But I also well, think, go ahead. I was gonna say, I'm using that all the time now. So if I yep. have a client that comes in and is a picky eater, I'm like, well, tough. Amber says that you've lost yep. taste buds. So <laughs> and, and it's nothing. No, no, not allowed to use it anymore. Sorry. Sorry, friends. <laughs> the other thing um, we learned is that you and I, I use this for my own child who I'll put food in front of her and she'll be like, that's, I don't like that. I don't want that. Did you know it takes your body 10 times to see something before it knows if it likes it or not? It, you can't show it one time. You have to have it repeatedly in front of you. Now, I think what happens a lot is there's this misconception that you have to eat it to know. You have to put it in your mouth to know. And you know, if I, as somebody who is is still learning to eat more things, right? If you send me to a foreign country to eat their menu, I'm like, my 
nervous system is like dysregulated, right? Like I'm like, oh, where's the chicken nuggets, right? Find me, find me somewhere that I know. If you were to put like a squid in front of me or something, the last thing I'm going to do is put that in my mouth. It's not going to happen. So if that's the expectation, I'm going to meet you at that table with a wall up my feet down. I'm not going to do it. And it's a battle. Like the second I sit at the table. So one of the very first things I encourage with everybody, especially with their kids is to give them this grace of like, you don't have to eat that. And which feels very different from when we grew up, right? You don't have to eat it. We have all the things on our plate, but any of it that you don't want to eat, you don't have to eat. I always make sure there is a preferred food on the table for every human. So you can eat that thing, right? It's not that I don't like anything on my plate, but this thing that you don't like, everybody gets some on their plate. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to eat it. Sometimes there's even um, a plate for a while if it's something that really has you with a lot of feelings, right? A a big reaction to that thing. You don't want it in the room. You don't want it near your space. That is a valid reaction for some kids. I can't even handle that that's on the table, okay? Sometimes we have to back up a little bit and be like, okay, here is a plate. I used to call it a no thank you, a no thank you plate. And then I learned, I'm like, "Mm, let's do a not yet plate where I don't wanna eat that. I actually can't have it on my plate because it's giving me too many feelings okay, here, put it on the not yet plate. And then they can scoop it up with a spoon and put it there. Sometimes they're willing to touch it with their hands and put it there because they know it's going away. And then it just sits on this plate over here and now they feel safe again. It really is a feeling of of safety. So making your table a safe place where kids can say, I don't wanna eat that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that. And you can say, that's fine. You don't have to eat it. That already opens you up to a space where you can have conversation about anything else. It's not about, Ooh, he's eating that thing. Look, she's taking a big bite of that stuff. That feels very shamey. So we're not going to talk about what we're eating. We're just going to eat. Maybe if I'm talking about my own food, I might hold something up and be like, oh, look how wiggly this noodle is. And then I'm going to eat it, right? Just showing how cool my food is, but it's never a forced task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we, we call them like tasting plates. Like, yes. like it's a separate plate and it's yes. when you're ready, you can taste off of it. But that way there's no pressure of it touching no. something familiar because the kids, especially, you know, they want their separation, right? Yeah. We have, I should say, we have trays um, that have separate containers so that the food can't touch. Cause it mm-hmm. is, that's, I mean, all my potatoes are now tainted. I can't eat any of them. And they're my favorite food, right? Like that's, you know, I, I can't handle ketchup. That was like, I got pregnant with my oldest and like ketchup now, like sends me into a gagging fit. If I have ketchup on my plate, I can't eat the plate. I can't even sit next to my kids while they're eating ketchup. So like, don't make my ketchup touch my potatoes or I'm done. I'm just done. <laughs> and I'm a big human, so I don't have to throw a fit, but my husband's not going to force me to eat it. Right. Nope. Eat those potatoes. Right. right. <laughs> All right. So the next thing I want people to think about is how many steps, and this is a lot of what therapy looks like, but how many steps there are until I actually eat a food. 
And this is where like the play comes in. And if you're not comfortable playing with your food, I always, I'm, I always just going to hug that, that parent and be like, it'll be okay. Just do a little bit of play. Right. So we can play with our food. If I have this thing in front of me and maybe not at mealtime, like we, when we play with our food, I have one child. One of the things that I would say to a parent is if on multiple well visits, you've brought up a concern over eating, then maybe it's time for you to, to say, I want to, I want a recommendation somewhere because a lot of times we'll bring up I, for years, I brought up, does she weigh enough? Is she doing okay? She doesn't eat probably for four years. And I was always, oh, she's okay. She's still on the growth, on the growth curve. She's okay. And like, but she literally doesn't eat. And so I started with her and myself, honestly. And so as we started, I'm making food. I'm never going to eat. I was making chicken. It was just me touching raw chicken, knowing I wasn't going to eat it, but that was a step before I had to eat it. Right. So I'm I'm touching this raw chicken. I'm gagging in my kitchen. My brother is hysterically laughing. He was like, you are absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, I can't Right, this chicken, but I made it for my family to eat. So maybe make a dish for a neighbor, right? If, if you have that kind of relationship for your neighbor, make a dish where you're touching something that you're like, I'm not okay eating this, but I don't have to eat it. There's steps before that. Um, with my kids, some of the food was like poking it with a separate food. So we're making this play area where we've got yogurt and we don't like yogurt. It's a, it's an issue. Okay. Well, let's poke it with our straw. Let's blow it across the table with our straw. I just want to get it in my space. So it seems less scary. Okay. So playing with our food, touching our food, smelling our food, we can smell it and never have to eat it. So I'm modeling as a parent, as a therapist, I'm modeling these things. What else could I do with this? Um, what else? Zucchini noodles is one we, we played with a lot because vegetables was a thing. So I have these zucchini noodles and I'm like, oh, let's spin it around. Let's paint with it. It's going to be our paintbrush today. And we're doing art projects with zucchini noodles. And then we're making bracelets out of them. And then I'm slowly bringing them closer to my face without ever saying you have to touch it, lick it, eat it, right? Or um, um, touch it with your mouth. So I'm pulling it up my arm. Maybe I'm putting it on my head. Maybe I'm just balancing something on my nose. I'm just slowly playing with these things, getting them closer to my mouth. And then at some point, kids are kids. They're probably going to lick it. They're probably going to put it in their mouth. And then it just becomes this, this natural progression where they're not afraid to try the new thing because they know it's on their terms. They know it's not this forced activity. Us as adults, next time you go to the grocery store, buy a fruit you've never bought before. Buy a vegetable you've never eaten before. Prepare it. Play with it. You know, you don't, if, as long as you've got the funds to do so, you can make zucchini noodles and hand them out for your family and you can just eat the regular pasta, but it's the same, right? It takes you 10 times to know if you're going to want to eat something. And just because you're an adult, if you haven't been living that path, if you've been living on chicken nuggets and French fries, you're probably not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I would love some eggplant Parmesan, right? No, that's, 
that I, that texture is so weird to me. Yeah. I'm just writing some notes down because two of the things that I really like what you said was number one, like isn't so much of kids learning through play, you know? Mm -hmm. So if we're trying to teach them something, it would make sense that we would use like a playtime environment mm -hmm. because that's when they're engaged. That's when they're open to things because it doesn't feel so serious where the dinner table feels very like stiff and everybody's watching you and looking to see if you're going to eat it. So of course, like you said, your walls are going to be up and you're defensive. Um, I think one of the other things that I, I take away from this is, you know, having playtime be a different time than when you're eating, because, you know, for me, like, I just want to get the meal done, <laughs> right? Like I'm not here to yeah. turn this into a four hour event. So yeah. giving yourself permission to have playtime not be when you're trying to move things through, especially if you have older kids that need to be, you know, go somewhere for a sport or an activity, um, you know, but being able to be in a relaxed state and that doesn't have to only occur at the mealtime that can occur any time of the day. And you can make it look very different. One of the things as a therapist that I have parents do is get um, placemats. So the child knows, oh, it's dinner, we're not playing. Here are my placemats. We're going to actually eat versus if I bring bowls of food out and we don't have our placemats out, then we know it's time to play. It's art. It's playing. We've got trucks. We've got, you know, we're just doing all this stuff. Um, we've got, you know, piles of barbecue sauce that we're running stuff through. So it can look different as a really good indicator for the child of, oh, it's dinner. We're not going to bring our trucks to the table. So you would recommend that for adults, my, like my adult picky eaters, um, to play with their food. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And like I said, it can, it can be in a space where you set it up so that you can be doing it with kids. If that's what that feels like. But honestly, if you don't like spaghetti squash, spaghetti squash, cook a spaghetti squash, and then just like squeeze it through your hands, smell it, just give yourself that that awareness and the, the release of that expectation that because you cooked it, you have to eat it. No, you don't, you don't have to eat it. If you're not ready, then don't, if the expectation is that you have to eat it, you're never going to buy that thing at the store. You're never going to try that thing, right? Shrimp. I have like a weird thing with shrimp. I don't necessarily want to eat it, but if I have to take it home and just like squeeze it in my hands or, or, or cook it in some way, and then just like have it on its, on the plate next to me at some point, maybe I'm going to take a bite, but it's when I've had enough exposure to it. And sometimes that takes 10 times. Sometimes it takes 20 times before your body, your nervous system. It's a, it's an actual nervous system response. It is an anxiety response sometimes to get food in front of you that you're unsure about. Let your nervous system calm down. Let it, let it get that exposure to it where you're no longer having that reaction. So when you have a, a smaller child that will eat anything, right? I hear this all the time. They were such good eaters when they were little. And then all of a sudden they went to only eating you know, sandwiches shaped in a star with jelly. Like where does that transition take place and why? Um, sometimes it can be, um, sometimes it can be a progression that we just don't notice in the moment because 
it's just a tantrum and we're just trying to get them to stop tantruming, but it really is us as parents that are allowing the, the child to dictate all those changes until we get to that place. So sometimes it's this, this healthy balance of we all eat the same meal. If I give you a sandwich and you don't like the way I've given it to you, because I made that we're all having the same sandwich, guess what? And, and we, um, you know, we, we might live a, a little bit of a different life than, than some other people. But if I hand you a sandwich and you don't like it, I'm going to say, Oh, here, we have a holder of kid knives. Here's a kid knife. Cut the, cut the crust off. Like you can make it how you like it, but I'm not going to spend 45 minutes in the kitchen, making everybody's sandwich into their shape of preference. You know, I just, I don't have time for that. So some of it is allowing them to make changes to food if they want, like, how would you like this? I sometimes will serve things separate. Um, so if we have spaghetti, you know, I have my spaghetti sauce and my noodles and my meatballs, and then you can add them together on your plate as you wish. Um, so that's also the other thing is I might make vegetables in one pan and meat in one pan, and I keep them separate rice in one pan. You know, when I make tacos, they get each of the ingredients in each of the spaces, and then they put their own taco together because that allows them that control over, I want to eat this. And you know, it's the same. Some days I don't want cheese on my taco. Some days I don't want sour cream on my taco. So if you make me a taco the same way every day, I might be like, dude, I didn't want my taco like that. Will you always eat it like that? And now I'm not going to eat it. And now next time you make me tacos, I have feelings about it, <laughs> right? And it's just like this snowball. So not sacrificing how you're doing it. And just saying, this is how we eat tacos. You can put it together how you wish. That will help. But a lot of it is just, we get into this rut of like, we're in a hurry. You know, I want everybody happy so we can keep going. It's the end of the day. A lot of times, right, this dinner, this dinner battles at the end of the day and everybody's tired and everybody's used all their bandwidth. Um, and it just becomes a, a peacekeeping thing. Um, so a lot of times that is, that is kind of where it's come from. Or you you know, look back and you're like, oh, for the last three months, all we've had is chicken nuggets, French fries, corn dogs, peanut butter and jelly. And now, you know, my kid won't eat green beans and corn. You haven't given them. It's been six months since they've even seen that, that item, you know, you might have to start over if that's kind of a, a, a lull you've been in, which happens to all of us. So. Yeah. You also made me think of another thing, um, volume of food. Yeah. I know my one daughter, it was, the, we went through this phase. It was probably about like three weeks where she just cried every time she sat at the dinner table. And I'm like, what is wrong? Like, I don't understand. And then finally, like three weeks later where I was just like, I've had it, like, come on. I know you like this food. And she just was crying and these big tears are coming down her cheeks. And she's like, you gave me too much. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, I can take stuff off your plate. Like, it's not, oh my goodness. Are you, this is what has made you so upset? And I was like, I can fix that. But it was, I don't know if it was like, she didn't want to hurt my feelings or, but at the same time, she was so overwhelmed. She was shutting down. Yeah. So I don't know if, if 
that just was an isolated incident, or if you ever see that, like how volume can be an impact on preferences. Well, and I think it's kind of the same as time. You know, kids don't really understand time, so it feels overwhelming. Like, how long do I have to do this? Why are we here? What's happening? And when it gets to food, even myself, like if I go to my mother-in-law's house and she hands me a plate full of food, like, oh my gosh, I have to eat all of this. You know, it is that feeling of like, we must finish our plate. I think that's a, that's a beautiful point to bring up of like, you don't have to finish your plate, eat till you're full. And it's such a great skill and awareness. Like I never learned as a kid. I don't remember, right. It was like, finish your plate, eat everything I give you, but I wasn't in control. We family style, um, meals. So kids are scooping out their own portions and they're learning like how much is on a spoon? How much do I put on my plate? And I just get to say, oh, hmm, that was a really big scoop. Maybe next time we do half that size. Mm -hmm. And they get to honor their little bodies when they say I'm full. And I don't get to tell them, you know, this is my hippie side, you know, I don't get to tell them, no, your body's still hungry because it's not. So I think some of that also is that is that great space to fall into that's just so different from when most of us were kids. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to like, even take that over from your, as you say, big humans, right? Like as adults, like, you know, we don't have to, like you said, just because you make a whole spaghetti squash doesn't mean you have to even eat the whole spaghetti squash. You are allowed to take one bite and move it along, right? Whether if that's the, I obviously don't want to support food waste, but if there's a way that you can you know, give that to somebody or repurpose it. But when you're trying stuff, it doesn't mean like now I have to eat large servings of it. Because no. um, if you don't like it, you're not going to continue. Yeah. No. Yeah. Don't go to Costco and buy like the 30 pound bags of grapefruit. If you're unsure, if you like grapefruit, right. <laughs> just get, just get one, start out small. Um, but yeah. And t- start with tiny, tiny servings, tiny scoops. Um, you know, you can always, you can always get more, but yeah, you don't have to eat it just because it's on your plate. And yeah, we forget that yeah. as adults too. All right. So we got playing with our food. Playing We've got, food. you know, trying it at different times, the family yeah. style, any other tips, even especially for older adults, like you said, you mentioned several times that you struggle with eating outside your scope of maybe comfortable food. So what can we, what can I even tell my, my big humans if they're struggling with, with branching out and trying new things, they know it's necessary if for their health, um, but they're still struggling with some of those, um, those anxieties. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I always, um, encourage whether it's, you know, tiny human or adult, the things that is really nice to look at is to write down all of the foods that you will eat that you do like. Most of the time you'll find some similarities among them, whether it's crunchy, whether it's salty. A lot of the kids that come in, it's like, oh, they'll eat yogurt and applesauce and cottage cheese and, um, hamburger, but only when it's like coated in ketchup. I'm like, all of those are kind of the same texture. If you think about them in your mouth and how they, how they respond and how they act once you put it in your mouth. 
Um, so writing down all of the things that you like and finding out what are the similarities here and writing down the stuff that you're, this stuff terrifies me. I don't, I don't want to put this in my mouth. I don't want to put it in my home and kind of figuring out where is like, where's the difference. And then that might give you a good start as to, I won't like, I still can't eat jello. I just, I just can't do it. I keep, I keep trying. It's I shouldn't say can't, I should say I'm not able to tolerate jello yet. Right. But it's like, there's something about it that I don't enjoy. And I think it's a texture issue. So it's just digging through and figuring out why don't I like this thing? It's not just because I don't like it. Is it texture? Is it taste? Is it that we found one of my kids, um, she had a severe tongue tie. And so a part of her issue was that she just couldn't control the food once it gone in her mouth and it was just everywhere. And so, you know, we had to manage that or my one kid who was forced to eat peas from a sitter and choked, like it has to do with the size and the shape of, of the thing he's eating. He won't eat corn now. He won't eat peas because they're all tiny little. So what you can do, this is really fun. It becomes almost like a, like a scavenger hunt. So you find the things you like you find the things you're like, Ooh, I'm kind of unsure about this. And you can chain them to, this is what therapy looks like. You chain them together. So maybe I don't, uh, maybe I like spaghetti, right? I'll eat spaghetti, the long spaghetti noodles. Um, but zucchini is really hard. So let's make zucchini noodles. Let's make it look like the thing that I like, or if I don't like, um, Oh, what's something else? I'm terrible at coming up with examples on the fly, but you can go to the store and just say, these are things I like. Let me find something else that kind of looks like that, whether it's the shape or the color or the size. And it's like this tiny bridge instead of this massive bridge where you're, you know, I only eat red apples and now I'm trying to eat, you know, green uh, seafood, you know, like that bridge is massive be kind to yourself and try to make your steps tiny so that you give yourself a little confidence of like, you know, this looks, smells, shape, whatever is a lot like this other thing. Like, Hey, maybe it's okay. I can try this, you know, as you're talking, I'm literally trying to figure out how you would food bridge jello. I'm like, what food? <laughs> well, and so in, in therapy, what it would be is like, there's, there's different like shapes and textures of food that we have. We have a specific breakdown, but we would probably do, you know, like a Twizzler cause it's red. And then maybe we would go to like ketchup, but I would drip it on the, in like a line on the table. So it looks like the Twizzler. And then maybe we've got, you know, like an ice cube that's colored, like the color of the ketchup. And then we go to jello. So you can have these little be, it's going to look different if you're thinking about consumption, but if you're thinking about playing, have a whole day where all you play with is orange stuff. All you play with is purple things, you know, and you can kind of start to figure out like, oh, it's not the color, but this texture, like I just touched it with my finger and I was like, oh no, I'm not doing that today, you know, or I smelled it and I was like, oh, that I can't, that smell is too much. And you start to get a clue of like, what is it about this thing that is making me uncomfortable. That's making my body not like it. And then you just slowly build up like the touch. Ooh, can't, can't touch that. Like cooked mushroom, like cooked big mushrooms. They're I, the texture of them. And a lot of us, 
a lot of us who are like adult picky eaters, you look back and you're like, oh, but also like the tags on my shirts bothered me and sound bothered me. And I wear my socks inside out because the seam bothers me. Like sometimes there's other things that you're like, oh, maybe they're, you know, I'm just a sensitive person and some of it shows up in food. So we all have things that we prefer, whether it's not wool sweaters or socks without seams on them. So it's just another one of those where you figure out how to avoid that stuff in your life, but you can't avoid all the food. So you just have to dig in. Like, what is it about this that I don't enjoy? How can I manage that bridge? What can I do to make that better? And maybe it's just, I don't like the way this feels. Okay. Once a week, I'm going to buy this thing and then touch it and (laughs) build up my tolerance, honestly. Well, it's exposure therapy. That's really what it is, right? It really is. And then you realize it's not so scary. Yep. Maybe I can think differently about this. And now all of a sudden you went from a closed wall to, well, maybe I'll open the door. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And trusting yourself that like, I'm still safe. Like sometimes even as adults being like, I, my body is having, my heart's racing fast. Like I'm not in danger. It's a food here for whatever reason. I don't like it. But sometimes if you've got some really big aversions to different things. Like even your heart can be fast. I remember trying, I'm just not a meat person starting to cook meat for my family. It was a massive, massive hill that I had to take on. I was wearing like gloves at one point because I couldn't handle the touch and the I'm like gagging, you know, and it, it was such, but I had to, first of all, because they had to eat. (laughs) I can survive on vegetables, but they were not going to survive on vegetables, you know? And, but I had to tell myself like, you're safe. This isn't going to injure you and kind of breathe through it a little bit. You know, it's, that was an aggressive way to manage that. Cause I had to, but you know, just reminding yourself that it's okay. You're safe. You don't have to eat it. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love this whole conversation. Cause I think it's, it's just practical too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I think we, I have to learn how to like this right away. And this is it. And we put so much pressure on ourselves and that's actually feeding the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. If you feel like you have to eat it, you have to like it. This one time I bought this, you know, guava fruit. This is my only chance. Like that feels really heavy. That feels so nothing else in our life. Do we expect to like do the best the first time? Like it's the same with food. If you've never had that food, you can't just expect to show up and be like, Oh, my new favorite food. No, you've like literally never seen this thing before. Yeah. And just stressing the importance of that safety, feeling safe around food, how that is, you know, I guess when I think about picky eaters, you just, you automatically assume it's a choice. Yeah. Right. And and if I'm saying this right, like you should just try it, just set your mind to it and just do it. Um, But knowing the underlying, where the underlying anxiety is coming from and addressing that before you even think about addressing the food. Yep, absolutely. I always say like, especially for our little kids, it's really not a choice. And it's why they have such big reactions to us. It's like, that is ridiculous. It's mashed potatoes. Just eat your dang mashed potatoes. But for them, it's a nervous system fight or flight response. It's like setting me on the side of a bridge with a bungee jump attached to my leg, being like, it's not a big deal. Just go. Well, yeah, the person who's done it 300 times doesn't think it's a big deal. (laughs) He's done it 300 times. Me, I'm like, 
um, no, no, mm -mm, this is right. It's the same concept. And we just have to have grace with our tiny humans, with ourselves of like, this is the first time it kind of feels like bungee jumping and your, your nervous system is afraid and that's, it's okay. You're safe. You don't have to eat it. You know, you can always try again. Awesome. Oh, well, this conversation has been wonderful. I, I loved every second of it. I learned a lot. Um, and I hope um, you guys as listeners are learning a lot too. So um, Amber, we end every one of our episodes with a recipe that um, either one that is your favorite or one that all of your family members eat <laughs> or <laughs> whatever. Um, um, so I'm hoping that you'd be willing to share a recipe um, to close us out. Yes, I would absolutely love to. So I have a um, spaghetti sauce recipe. We um, live uh, every week we end up having spaghetti. So we, I make regular noodles for my kids. I make um, zucchini noodles for myself and my husband. And then it can be with like meatballs or ground, um, you know, your ground meat of choice. Um, but I have this homemade spaghetti sauce recipe and it's so simple and it is so delicious. I feel like anybody who makes it like never can buy store-bought spaghetti sauce again. And it makes a massive batch. So you can make it and then freeze a bunch. It reheats so beautifully, which for me is such a lifesaver. Um, so I'm going to read it off real fast. The, the, and you just dump it all in a pot and heat it up. Uh, my favorite, favorite, favorite kind of recipes. So yeah. And you can let it simmer for an hour and let it, you know, like amalgamate all this stuff together. Um, but sometimes I throw it all in the pot and I get it hot and we eat it. Cause that's the kind of day we had. So it doesn't matter either way. Um, so we end up with, um, one can, one large can, which is like 28 ounces of crushed tomato, one 16 ounce can of tomato sauce, a six ounce, six ounce can of tomato paste, two tablespoons of brown sugar, two teaspoons of salt, two teaspoons of onion powder, two teaspoons of dried basil, two teaspoons of Italian seasoning, and half a teaspoon of pepper. That's easy enough. And those are you know, in terms of ingredients, you can find them at any grocery store. Like you don't have to go to any specialty markets or no, nope, you know, not at all. All those ingredients you will probably use again, you know, cause that's always yeah. a big thing too. Like yeah. I, I love trying new foods personally, but when you're like buying this, yeah. you know, spice that you're never going to use except for this one recipe that maybe people will like, I'm always like, eh, not so sure about that, but this is yeah. all like, yeah, it's so easy. And sometimes I've swapped out like an actual chopped onion instead of the onion powder. Sometimes we've left out the basil because I didn't have any. Like, I feel like it's really forgiving, honestly, um, but it's absolutely delicious. And all of my kids will eat it, which is like a huge win. Um, and it's so good. Like I said, you can add meatballs to it or ground meat or whatever you wish, but it's really easy and so good. So you mentioned, um, just because some of my listeners aren't cooks, so just want to make sure we give them the information. So you throw everything into a pot. Do you bring it to a boil? Do you just let it simmer on medium for how long? Um, so if I have the time, I will let it simmer for an hour and a half. If I don't, I just bring it to a boil and then we eat it. <laughs> just Perfect. get it hot. <laughs> 
you've got options people (laughs) (laughs) it really like just get it hot you can let it sit and simmer you can eat it right away it is better if it sits for a while but it's not a necessity so and I can imagine like even over the summer when you can use fresh herbs and dump that right into your like oregano and the fresh basil and stuff to finish it off absolutely so good Nice. Nice. Love it. And honestly, I think that is the first time we've ever had a spaghetti sauce recipe. Um, we're almost at a hundred episodes and most of my guests, you know, they, I mean, obviously I love when people share what works for them, but we've gotten a lot of overnight oat recipes throughout the, the duration. So this is refreshing to have something completely different. That's so accessible to so many people. Yep. And I have speaking into all the stuff we just talked about overnight oats. It's a texture thing. I can't do it. I keep trying every few weeks. I try an overnight oats recipe and I just can't. <laughs> it's, on my, it's on my list for this year to, to tackle. I'm like, I'm going to end up finding one that I like. That's delicious. That doesn't mess with my texture issues. <laughs> oh, well, you can listen to previous episodes of this to. podcast and you can find a whole bunch of them. <laughs> I'll, just spend, I'll spend the next few weeks. I'm like, well, this week is, you know, episode three. Let's try this one. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you like overnight? I would you tolerate overnight oats warmed up? Do you think you would like that better? I don't, maybe I could try. Maybe I could try that. That's a good idea. I haven't tried that yet. Oh my goodness. We're food bridging on. This is it. Look, you guys and thought the episode was it. over and we still give know. more tips. <laughs> <laughs> Add it into our ocean unit. We'll just play with it. If I won't eat it, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think, um, I, cause I would say for me personally, I am not a cold, it's not my preference. Um, okay. but if you go to all the work of making it, you yeah. know, all you have to do is just warm it up and you still get all those great flavors without the waiting for the oats to cook, whether that be one minute for quick oats or like five minutes for the, the, um, rolled oats. So just something to think about. I'm going to try it. I like it. We'll do it. We'll do it this week yet. So perfect. All right. Well, Amber, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, like I said, we learned so much and we're just so thankful for your time. Absolutely. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having it on or having me on and, uh, speaking this message into people and encouraging them that, that, um, you know, they can eat outside of their other little box. I love it. It's fun. Yes. Oh, one quick question. Sorry. One last thing. Um, if people want to learn more about the work you do, or I think you have a podcast as well. Is that right? It's starting or, up. You know, it hasn't, it hasn't officially been out yet. Okay. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a title for it? Uh, yeah. Big buckets and tiny voices is what it's called. Cause I'm all about filling emotional buckets to like get your kids talking. So that's what a lot of it will be about. Excellent. All right. Well, okay. I'll say it one more time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And uh, all right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, 
I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.